0: This morning, I just sensed the Lord saying, uh, "Just your focal point, just a little bit in this message." I had a, I had a different place to start, and I felt like the Lord going, "No, man, it's it's about getting the people ready." Uh, I know one day I'm going to stand before Almighty God, and He's given me the honor and the privilege and the trembling-inducing responsibility of shepherding this flock. And your spiritual condition I will be held responsible for before Almighty God. If you want to know what I lose sleep over more than anything else, is that right there. There is this incredible flock of God that he loves and cherishes, and I'm supposed to get you ready for his return. Now, praise God, his spirit is the one in control. I'm just supposed to be a messenger, but I don't want to hold back today because I don't know when Christ is coming back. Here's what I do know. There's only one posture you can have to be ready for his return, and it looks like this. Hands open to God. I I can't hold back a little bit. I can't can't have one hand open and one hand closed. This, meaning God, take whatever you want out of my hands. Put whatever you want into my hands. I'm yours. This whole message today is going to be a message about how to open your hands up to God. So you can be ready when Christ returns. I'm going, to, I'm going to teach you a little principle right now. This is going to be a sermon where you might need to take some notes. So get your phone out to take notes on. Don't play video games, guys. Take, take your phone out if you need to. Get a piece of paper a journal, whatever. We're going to be going through some, some points that you need to know to remember however long we have on earth these particular points. And this first one will get your heart ready, your posture ready to open your hands. It's a very simple one. Here's what it is. Give God your best and he'll give you his best and his best is always better. It's a very simple idea. I want you to write it down. This is the posture to be ready for almighty God. Give God your best and he'll give you his best and his best is always better. Whatever you give him, whatever he takes out of your hands, he'll put something in that's so much better than whatever you took out. Than whenever he took out from you. Give God your best and by faith believe that he'll give you his best and his best is always better. What I want to do is I want to prepare you to open your hands to God and the only way you're going to open your hands to God is if you know who your God is. I think there are some people who just have such a wrong view of God and I think maybe it's because some of you grew up in like really strict homes where it just felt kinda of judgmental and, and taxing upon you. like You were always found doing wrong. You just couldn't be good enough. In the church, in your home, wherever, and you just always felt judgment. And, and you, you kinda of connect that with God, and you start thinking that God is just looking around, ready to zap whoever he can find doing wrong. And that is not the picture you get of God in the Bible. There's a, there's a verse, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse nine. I'm not, I'm not gonna put it on the screen, it's a very simple verse. Second Chronicles sixteen nine says, "The eyes of the Lord go throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose hearts are completely His." So, the, so the Lord absolutely is on the hunt, looking around the earth. But it's not to smite somebody; it's to bless somebody, so He can rush to your aid and support you, and bless you, and care for you. He's just looking for people whose hearts are His. And how do you know the heart is open to Him? Because you have this posture. God, I trust you. Whatever you want, take it out of my hands. If it's the very best I have, I give my best to you because I believe you'll give your best to me and your best will be better. It's a sign of faith. And today I want to teach you how to open your hands to God. And I'm going to teach you from the word of God. We're going to be in Exodus 22. Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you will. Exodus 22. And we're going to be covering some of the same ground we covered last week. Because I explained to you last week, the second half of chapter 22 of Exodus and the first half of chapter 23 are two themes interwoven together, a theme of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so last week, we looked at, we jumped around the verses that spoke specifically with how to treat one another. And I explained to you the call to be selfless, to be compassionate the way God is compassionate. And and I, I really try to drill in, this is how we're supposed to treat one another. This week, though, I want to focus in on all the verses that tell us how to treat God, And what you're going to discover, that these verses teach us one simple principle. Give God your best, and he'll give you his best, and his best is always better. We're going to start in verse 28 of Exodus 22. Listen to these first few verses here and see what they teach us about God. Verse 28. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. All right, so there's a number of little verses here that are pretty sporadic and they feel disjointed, but but they have one common theme. And the common theme is give God your best. Recognize the weight of God in your life it actually was exposed to us in verse 28 it's just the english translation is a little harder to understand verse 28 starts off do not revile your god and revile is a tricky word it's kind of hard to really pinpoint what does it mean to revile god but the hebrew word is actually a whole lot easier it's a word kalal which means to treat lightly to esteem little it's actually the opposite of honor if you remember when I went through the Ten Commandments and I said I went through honor your father and your mother, I explained to you the word honor is kabad which means to treat as weighty, as important, to recognize the weight that parents have in the lives of the children. So kabad is to honor God, to, to give God. The other way to translate it is glory. To glorify God is to recognize the weight of God. But the opposite side of that is to trivialize God, to treat him as light, to not prioritize him. So, when he says, do not revile your God, he's saying, do not treat God like he doesn't matter. Give him the weight that is supposed to be his position in your life. I I got a question for you. Have any of you ever been treated like you don't matter? Like somebody just didn't give much weight to you? It's a painful thing when that happens. I remember I I was in seminary and I was serving at a little church, about 35 people, called College Avenue Baptist Church just a bit south of downtown Fort Worth. And I knew we were a small church. I was serving in Spanish language ministry, but I was also leading us in outreach in the neighborhood. And I wanted to learn how to do this better, how to be more effective at outreach. And so there was another church in the Fort Worth area that was a lot bigger than ours, and they had a missions pastor. And so I called up the missions pastor to see if I could meet with him and just learn about how they were doing community outreach. And so I called him, waited about a week, no response. Called again, waited about another week, no response. Called his assistant, waited about a week, no response. Emailed him, waited about a week. Emailed again, waited another week, no response. It must have been like a month and a half and no response whatsoever. He just wouldn't even acknowledge that I existed. You want to know how big I felt? About that big. Just this little insignificant guy serving this small little church. He didn't have time for me. Well, something interesting happened, um, and not too long after that, this big old megachurch called Fielder called me to come be the missions pastor and Spanish language pastor here at the church, and I, I, I'm not even making this up. I, I couldn't make this up if I tried. Guess who called me after I became the missions pastor of this church? I, I'm not even making this up. The same dude who wouldn't return my phone call called me because he wanted to learn about the outreach ministry of this megachurch called Fielder. You want to know how I responded? I ghosted him. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't ghost him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't do that. That whole Jesus, you know, treat others how you want to be treated, like was bouncing around my mind. I called him up. I talked with him. But I got to be honest with you, I didn't want to. I didn't want to because I thought it was pretty jacked up that that dude would treat me like I didn't matter and then turn around and, and ask me to treat him like he did matter. I thought that was pretty screwed up. And then I realized, oh, dang, that's exactly what we do to God. We treat him like he doesn't matter until we need him, and then we say, hey, God, can you, can you, can you matter to me? Can you, can you treat me like I matter? We, we treat God like he doesn't have weight until we need him, and then we say, God, treat me like I have weight. i got to confess it's pretty screwed up that we do this, but we do. And God is saying, do not trivialize me. Don't just run to me with your little flare prayers when you need me and ignore me the rest of your life. Give me the weight I deserve. And he says, I'm going to tell you how. Give me your first and your best. When you give me your first and your best, then I know I have priority in your life. And the whole sermon I'm going to walk you through is just four areas in the verses that we're going to look at where God says, give me your first and your best. We're going to start with the first one. You're going to want to write write this down. I want you to be aware of these. These are the things you want to be doing when Christ returns. Giving God your best, trusting he'll give you his best, knowing his best is better. Here's the first one. God wants the first and the best of our resources. God doesn't want the scraps. God doesn't want the leftovers. God wants the first and the best of our resources. God wants us to believe that everything we have has been given to us by him, and therefore it belongs to him. i got to be honest with you guys. As the American church, this is one of the places we screw up the most. Our mindset so often is to give God our scraps and to wonder why it feels like God has given us his scraps. This whole verse, verses 29 and 30, when it talked about giving God the overflow of your wine press and the richness, it says, don't delay to offer the fullness of your harvest and the outflow of your presses. This was saying the richest, best part of what you have, give to God. Don't give him the scraps, don't give him the scrawny stuff, give him the best that you have. And it says, give the first fruit of your son, your your sons, to God. This was a reminder of what happened in the Exodus when God gave them the Passover, the blood of the Passover lamb to watch over them, to guard their firstborn son so that they didn't die with the firstborn of Egypt. And he said, in that moment, the firstborn of all your sons belong to me, and you've got to redeem them. He said, I want you to give me my first and my best that you have. And the firstborn in ancient Israel was the most important of all the children the one who would get the double inheritance, the one who would take care of the parents when they were older. And God says, I don't want you to give me the third, fourth, fifth, I want the firstborn. The first and the best, give to me. I don't want the scraps, I want the richest of what you have. I don't want just a a third or fourth animal, give me the first animal that you have. Give it all to me, first and best to me. And the reason we do that is because when we give God our first and our best, by faith we are declaring we believe that you'll take care of all of our needs. I give you my best, believing God, you'll give me your best, and your best is always better than whatever I give you. So I give them the first and the best. I've got to be honest with you, church. What I see so often in patterns of people's lives is that when it comes specifically to their money, okay, I gotta pay all my bills first, gotta be responsible. Or I gotta put some money into savings because you know a rainy day might come. I mean, there's a few things that I wanted to buy. I'm gonna make sure I get that. And then if I got anything left over, okay, I'll, I'll give that to God. Let's go ahead and be honest with ourselves, can we? That puts God very clearly on our priority list dead last. We're saying, God, I'm not going to give you priority, but when I need you, I want you to give me priority. And God says, no, you give me priority, first and best to me. Scriptures talk about something called the tithe. There is, there is a whole generation of people who haven't even heard of this concept. Tithe, it literally means 10%. It's where you say, God, you everything I have, you've given to me. And right off the top, I don't wait to see if I have 10% left over, God. Right off the top, I give you 10% of it, recognizing it all belongs to you. Because I trust, God, that when I give you my first and my best, you'll give me your best. And your best is always better than what I give you. I trust you, God. It's an act of faith. And there are so many people who don't even think about this. And what you don't realize is that you're actually robbing God and you're completely unaware of it. I told you earlier I'm going to stand before Almighty God one day on your behalf, and I have a feeling He's going to ask me why did my people rob me so much? You're going, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Rob God? Well, keep your place in Exodus 22. I want to jump over to Malachi, chapter three, verses eight through ten. I want to make sure you know this before Christ comes back. Malachi three eight says, "Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions." You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, You're robbing me. And they go, How are we robbing? Because you're not bringing what's, what belongs to me, the first and your best to me. You're not giving it to me. You're not trusting in me. You're giving me your scraps and your leftovers. I don't want you to rob God and not even be aware of it. But more important than that, I, I want you to hear this. There is a promise God makes in this, this passage that you are missing if you don't trust God with your resources. It's one of the few places in the whole Bible where it says, put me to, God says, put me to the test. If you look over the Bible, there's so many times he says, do not test the Lord your God, except in this one area. He says, when it comes to your resources, Put me to the test. Give me your best and watch if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour down upon you so much that there's no need remaining. You know what that means? Give God your best and he'll give you his best and his best is always better. He's saying, trust me. Trust me. That money you can't take with you to the grave anyway. When Christ returns, it's not gonna matter how much you have in your bank account. But it will matter if you walked in faith with the Lord. God says, I want I want your first and your best. Give it to me. Listen, I know what it's like for a preacher to talk about money. I know the the feelings that people have. That's all those preachers care about is money. Some of you about to turn off the TV right now. See, he's one of those preachers. I get it. I'm not trying to frustrate you, but I am trying to make sure when I stand before God, at least I told you. But let me go ahead and tell you, this actually has nothing to do with your money. This is not because we have this building campaign we want you to give to or our uh, pastor needs a new salary upgrade. This is not about that. This is, God doesn't need your money. Let's make that really clear. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need your money. God owns the universe. He can provide in the way that he wants to provide. This is not about your money. This is about your heart. Let me tell you what Jesus said. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is about your heart, which is why the second thing I want you to hear That God demands does not have to do with your resource or your money has to do with your heart first one I already told you God wants the first and the best of your resources Here's the second one. I want you to write down God wants the first and the best of your affection That's what all this is about anyway God wants the first and the best of your affection And what I mean by affection you might want to write a little note on the side there God wants the first and the best of your affection meaning God wants you to love him and trust him above anyone and anything else in this universe. That's what it means to give God your affection. God, I love you above it all. God, I trust you above it all. That's actually what verse 31 in Exodus 22 was talking about when it says, be consecrated to the Lord. That word consecrated means be set apart from the rest of the world. The rest of the world is, is looking for its own glory. You look for me. You come to me. You trust, set yourself apart for me. Trust in me and in me alone. In fact, back in Exodus 22, in verses 18 through 20, it tells us what it looks like to trust in false places, to look somewhere else for your affection. It's three weird verses, but I want to go back to those verses. I want you to see what they teach us. Exodus 22, verses 18 through 20. It says, "'You shall not permit a sorceress to live. "'Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death, "'and whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone "'shall be devoted to destruction.'" So so three weird commandments that seem disjointed, that all have the death penalty. And you might not see how they come together, but it's all one common theme. All of these were false affections and false worship of false gods. The, The very first one, it says, you should not permit a sorceress to live. A sorceress was somebody in the Old Testament times who looked to dark magic and to the occult in order to have power. They wanted to control their environment, and so they sought power. They trusted in the occult. In what was dark in order to have power. And God says, you shall not trust in anybody else other than me. If anybody does it, they must be put to death. That second one, that weird one about bestiality, that was actually about pagan worship. If you remember, if you were here when we went through the 10 plagues last year in the Exodus series, I explained to you about the Egyptian deities and how so many of them were were modeled with some kind of animal. If you look at the ancient gods in Egypt, many of them are depicted by animals. The Canaanite gods were the same way. you see them depicted by animals. And when it talks about people lying with animals, this wasn't just perversion. This was actually people trying to join themselves with a false god. They were showing their love and affection for a false god. And God says, you shall not give your affection to anybody else but me. Keep it here. That third one, when it says that you should not sacrifice to any other gods, Back then, they sacrificed to gods because they wanted to please the gods. Because they wanted the gods to bring them favor and to take care of them. And they're setting their hearts on these false gods and their affections on these false gods. And God says, no, me and me alone. I want your first and your best of all your affection. Let your heart be given to me. In fact, God is so serious about this that he said, I don't even want you thinking about the other gods. I want you to flip over now. We're done with chapter 22. I want you to go to chapter 23. And I want you to look at verse 12. Listen to how serious God is about where our affections are set. I know I'm moving fast, but bear with me. 23, 13 says, Pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it even be heard on your lips. don't Don't even mention the names of the other gods. If you were to look at the Hebrew word under don't make mention of, it literally means do not even cause yourself to remember them. Don't even let them come to your mind. It's like God saying, I want your eyes here. If you think about God, husband and wife walking down the road and some woman walks by scantily dressed and the husband starts to turn and the wife goes, nope, nope, eyes here, eyes here. That's what God is doing right here. Here are the people and they're among the Canaanites and the Egyptians and their eyes are wandering. God goes, no, 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 eyes here, eyes on me. Don't think about them. Don't let your mind wander to them. Don't even mention their name. I want you to have eyes for me and me alone. Your affection set on me. This is what God is after right now. God wants your heart, and you show it, I already said, about your resources, but there's another way you show it, and this is the third thing I want you to write down. I already said God wants the first and the best of your resources, the first and best of your affection. Third thing, God wants the first and the best of your time. Write that down. God wants the first and the best of your time. God doesn't want the leftovers or the scraps. He wants the first and the best of your time. And again, church, let's, let's be honest here. I think we screw this one up all the time. I think look at how we treat our mornings, and we'll realize so often we give God the scraps. Look at how so many people treat Sunday morning. All right, you know, God, if I got some time left over, if the kids don't have a game, and if we're not taking a vacation, and we don't got a few things, or I'm just if I'm perky enough, I'll get up and go to church. God said, no, no, I want the first and the best of your time. Prioritize me. Give me weight in your time. That's what the whole Sabbath was about. In fact, go back to verse 12 of chapter 23, the verse right before what we just read. Listen to how he brings back the Sabbath. He says, Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman, and the alien may be refreshed. He says, I I want you. You work six days. You rest the seventh. It's about rest. Now, if you didn't hear the message that I gave back on August 20th about the Sabbath, I want you to go back and listen to it. Because I took a whole Sunday, we were going through the Ten Commandments, I dealt with the first three one Sunday, the fourth commandment, which is the Sabbath, on one Sunday the 20th, and then we did the last six. I slowed it all down on that one commandment because I think it's one of the most important ones for us. And what I explained to you in that sermon is that taking a Sabbath rest isn't just about vegging, it isn't about like stopping your work, it's about prioritizing God about saying, God, you are the most important thing and I'm going to stop time right now and I'm going to give you my full attention. What I love about what the early church did when they moved the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday to align with the resurrection of Jesus is they placed the Sabbath on the first day of the week. There are a lot of people, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too, where I think Monday is the first day of the week. You know, you're just finishing up the weekend, kind of slowing down, but you're gearing up for Monday because Monday is the first day of the week. No, it's not. Sunday is the first day of the week. Go look at your calendar. See see how it's laid out. And I think that's incredibly important that we have that mindset, and here's why. We are saying before the week even starts, God, I give it to you. The first day, the best day, God, I give it to you. I'm going to stop striving. I'm going to stop pursuing my career, my own glory, God. I give you my attention. Come hell or high water, God, I'm going to give you this day. I'm going to make you the priority with my time. And when you do it on the first day of the week, it's incredible how it affects the other six days. And when you get up the other six days, you wake up and you go, you know what, God? I'm going to give you the first of my time. When I first, well, The first thing I'm going to do, God, is I'm going to open up my word and I'm going to read. And I'm going to spend time praying. Why? Because I want God to have the first and the best of my time. And some of you go, well, you know, but I'm not fresh in the morning. That takes me a little while to get going and, I think I'll I'll understand more at nighttime when I read the Bible. Fine, read the Bible at night, but still do it in the morning. Because you want to give God your first and your best. The first thought on your mind, not your phone, not your emails, not your work, not your school, not your friends, not social media, God. The first and the best of your time. See, all of this, though, ultimately, it it all boils down to the fourth thing, the last thing. Here's what it is God wants the, the first and the best of your worship. That's really what he wants. Write that last one down. God wants the first and the best of your worship. Your resources is about your heart. The, the affections is about what you trust in and prioritize. Time is about setting aside God to give him weight. But all of this, ultimately, is about giving God the worth due his name. Now, you, you may not realize this. When you hear worship, you may just think it's singing songs. That's, that's not where the word worship comes from. It's an older English word that literally means worth-ship, it means to declare and recognize the worth of something. Worthship. That's what it means to worship God. He wants to have the, the first and the best of what you deem to have value, of what you believe to be worthy. And he wants you to stop and remember why he has that worth. That's why as he finishes up this passage, he ends up talking about some festivals, these feasts that show the worth of God. So we're going back to chapter 23. Look at verses 14 through 17. Three quick festivals he brings up. It says, Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. Three festivals. Unleavened bread, harvest, and ingathering. And each one of these three were designed to remind us the worth of Almighty God. Feast of unleavened bread, for those of you who've been in this journey through Exodus, you may remember, that's the celebration of the salvation of God from their slavery in Egypt. They were slaves in there, and God sent the destroyer angel, and he said, sacrifice the Passover lamb, put the blood on the, the door of your house, and you will, not, you will not lose your firstborn, you will not be destroyed. I will save you. And they were supposed to celebrate eating unleavened bread so they could eat quickly and send out in freedom. So that was to commemorate what God had done to save them from Egypt. And he wanted every generation to remember this, never to forget. Feast of the Harvest. This one came usually in like early June, the beginning of summertime. And this was also called the Feast of First Fruits. And what you were supposed to do is to bring the first fruits of your crop, the first fruits of your your vine, of your apple trees, and and bring them and offer them to God, the best and the first of what you have. And it was a declaration of trust. It was saying, I want this to eat, God, but you deserve what's first because this comes from you. And so I give you the first of what I have, God. I trust you. And then the third one, the feast of Ingathering, That was a lot like our Thanksgiving Day celebration. It was at the end of harvest time. And that, that, was, that was when we celebrate all the rich bounty. This is in, in the fall when, when God has brought forth everything. And in this moment, in the Feast of Ingathering, they had their granaries filled with grain, their wine vats filled with wine. But they were supposed to celebrate the Feast of Ingathering in a unique way. It's also called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, because they were supposed to go live in tabernacles for a number of days, remembering their wandering in the wilderness. And it was to be a reminder, guys, when your granaries are filled, I want you to go live out in a tabernacle to remember that you're still dependent upon me. Don't trust in your granary. Don't trust in your wine vat. I want you to trust in me. Remember, you wandered around and I saved you. Keep that faith in me. And so these three festivals were designed to keep their mind, their hearts, geared on their faith and need of Jesus. To remember generation after generation why their God was worthy of their praise. Let me go ahead and tell you, God knew they were going to forget. He knew that by the next generation, they were going to start messing this thing up. And so we're going to finish the last two verses, and you're going to see all they are is course corrections in the ways that he knew they were going to screw this thing up. Look at verses 18 and 19. It says, You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. That last one's always been kind of weird. What do you even do with that? And I didn't understand it until I read it in light of its context. These are three course corrections for the three feasts that you just read about. The first one, if you remember, was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that's when you were supposed to sacrifice the Passover lamb and eat only unleavened bread, and it was a reminder that you had to do it God's way. You weren't allowed to keep the fat until the next morning. You weren't allowed to bring any leaven in. You're supposed to not let your bread rise so that you could be taken off into safety. And if you didn't obey all the rules and regulations, you weren't gonna experience the salvation of God. And then what did they do? Verse 18, he says, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or with the fat remaining till the next morning. You know why he had to say that? Because they started bringing leaven into the offering. They started letting the fat remain until morning. They started disobeying God. They started forgetting to trust God in his ways. And God has to course correct. Remember, I told you the feast of the harvest was to bring your first fruits and the best of your first fruits to God. You know what they did? They brought first fruits, but it wasn't their best. That's why the top of verse 19 says, the best of the first fruits of your ground, you shall bring into the house of the Lord. They were starting to bring scrappy stuff, scrawny stuff. He said, no, no, no. the best of your first fruits. Remember what your God deserves. He's course correcting them. And that weird one about not boiling a, a young goat in his mother's milk, that was actually a pagan ritual to increase fertility of their animals. But remember what I told you? The whole point of the Feast of Ingathering was to trust in God's provision. He says, don't trust in your granary. Don't trust in your wine vat. Go live out in a tabernacle to remember that I'm the one who provides. And they turn around and start distorting it by trusting in pagan rituals to make their animals more fertile. And God says, guys, don't do that. Don't follow pagan practices. Trust in me. Look to me. Have eyes for me. He's course correcting them as they got more and more misguided. They were not offering their God their first and their best. And therefore, they were not receiving the first and the best from God. And God says, I got to correct you. I just have a sense that God is saying to us today, I got to correct you. Because there are many people in this room right now who are not giving God their first and their best. There are many of us in this room, and we're giving God our scraps, our leftovers. And God is saying to us, will you correct yourself? Will you trust me? Give me your best, and I'll give you my best. And my best is always better. I want, just for the few minutes I have left with you, I want you to wrestle with this thought. I really want you to wrestle with it. Where are you not giving God your first and your best? What part of your life are you struggling with? I think there's some of you, if you'll stop and think about the way you spend your money, you'll realize right then and there, you're not giving God your first and your best. You're giving him scraps or leftovers. Maybe not giving him anything at all. And God is saying, will you trust me? This is faith here. Give me. It doesn't matter the amount. God says, there was a woman who gave two mites. And he stopped the whole crowd and said, that that woman's giving more than anybody else because she gave what little she had. It's not a dollar amount that God is looking for. It's a heart given over to him. Maybe for you, it's your time. Just being honest. Gathering together with the church isn't your priority. Making time in the morning, morning for your God isn't your priority. You're not giving him the first and the best of your time. And he's saying, would you trust me? That work can wait. Those things can wait. Sleep can wait. Be with me. Maybe it's your worship. Maybe you come in here to to try to worship on Sunday. You can't even sing because you wasted your voice worshiping a football team on Saturday. And God is saying, I would rather you be hoarse from your worship on Sunday, not able to cheer on Monday night because you were worshiping the king of glory. I want your first and your best. I want you to show me I have value more than anything else in this world. It really comes down to the fourth one. That's the most important. Where are your affections? What are you loving and trusting in more than the Lord your God? What thing? What person? Where is our affection going toward? Be honest with yourself. Is it our children? Is it our our school? Is it our friends? Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Is it a reputation? What is it right now that has our affections gripped? And God is saying, I want your first and your best eyes up here. I want you to have heart and mind for me and me alone. Listen, God doesn't just desire your first and your best. He demands it. And the reason he demands it is because he alone deserves it. Because he gave you his first and his best. They had no idea as God was going through these three festivals, he was really just giving them the gospel of Jesus, preparing them for the Messiah. Starts with that whole feast of, un- of unleavened bread. Remember, it was the Passover lamb. You know it, I know it, they didn't know it. He was just setting them up to realize that one day the lamb of God would come who would be sacrificed, whose blood would take away the sins of the world. He was pointing them to Jesus. Jesus. What about the Feast of Harvest? Remember, that's the Feast of Firstfruits. That was just to show us we have a new fruit whose name is Jesus. We used to have a man named Adam who represented humanity, and he failed us, and we all died with him. And God says, I give you a new firstfruit. His name is Jesus, and you'll be raised from the dead with him. He was getting us ready for the new fruits, Jesus Christ. And you got the Feast of Ingathering where they were living in tabernacles. Let me tell you why he did that, to show them that one day God himself would come in flesh. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And God chose to dwell among us, tabernacle among us. How would God save us? He would get his little tent and be one of us. And that tabernacle was to help them see and get ready for the Messiah who would tabernacle among us. All this was just to point to us, to the fact that God would give us his first and his best, and his name is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Why does God deserve our first and our best? Because he gave us his first and his best. And he says, I just want you to give back. So, my question for you is Are you giving God your first and your best? The deepest question I have for you is Are you giving God the one thing that is most important, the absolute first and best of you? It's not your money. God's not after your money. That's not where he's starting. It's not even your time. It's not even your worship that you sing more loudly to him. You have one first and best thing to offer him that he's after, and it's you. God says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you. And I just, I know there are some of you, and you have not yet offered yourself to him. That's the first and the best that you have, to offer yourself and say, Almighty God, I give you me. You can have me. You can be my Lord. You can be my master. I want to belong to you. We have a baptistry on stage, and we leave it here every single week because we know there are people who are ready to say, today's the day I need to come and declare myself given over to Jesus Christ, the old me dead and gone, the new me rising up in Christ. That baptistry is a line in the sand. When you said, I didn't used to belong to God, now I step over it and I belong to almighty God. And I believe there are some of you in this room and you know you need to make that decision. And here's what I want you to hear today. In light of what I told you earlier, I do not know if you're gonna have another Sunday. I do not know if you're gonna have a chance the next Sunday to come back and do it. And there's some of you go, I gotta figure this thing out in my life, I gotta get this right. No, obey him. If he's calling you to him, let nothing stand in the way. Come to him, give yourself to him. But what's it going to cost? Who cares? If he were to come tonight, you're not going to care the cost. If he's going to come next week, you're not going to care the cost. What will people think? Who cares what people think? All that matters is that you give yourself to him. He wants you to give yourself your first and your best, and he will give you his first and his best, and his best is always better. And God is saying, today, let it be the day. Listen, we're gonna have pastors and prayer team members down front ready to counsel with you if you're ready to make that decision. We have a t-shirt you can change into that says, Jesus in my place. And you're recognizing I belong to him. And you'll have a chance to put on some shorts and get ready and be baptized before we leave here today. But you're gonna have to be willing to come. And before I, I let you respond, let me say one last thing. I believe there are some of you came in here with heavy weights. My heart is heavy. Some of you have some heavy weights, some burdens, some things you're going through and you want prayer, we're going to have prayer down front. And here's what I want to remind you of. I want to remind you who your God is. He is a God who is looking around the earth to see whose heart belongs to him so he can support them, so he can bless them. He's a God who wants to bless, but you got to bring your need to him. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you're overwhelmed. You're saying, would you pray with me? We have people ready to pray with you. Maybe you're going, I got a lost family member and they're not ready for Christ's return. Would you pray with me for them? We want to pray for them. I don't know what's going on what's on your heart, but but approach God believing that he's the God who wants to support you and bless you, not harm you. Prayer is just a symbol that you trust in the heart of your God. The rest of you, you're going to be singing a song that says, I make room for God. Don't lie. If you can't sing it, don't sing it. But if you're going to sing it, let it be a declaration for you of your faith. I'm going to encourage you all to stand up right now. Prayer team members to come down forward. Staff, if today is a day where you're saying, I need to, I can't, I, I can't wait any longer, I'm awake now and I know I need to come, then we're going to invite you to come. Let one of us know and we'll get you ready for this baptistry. If you need prayer, come remind yourself that you have a God who hears. and You come receive prayer. If you just need to worship, you worship. You respond as you need to.